listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Thanks for that reading, Luann. Before we get started, are we, uh, is the camera still not working? Are we good? Did the remote just need new batteries? Or was that not it? We don't know. We don't know what it was, but okay. So they can see me now. Yay, it's so good to see you all. I can't actually see you, but you can see me. Very fun. (laughs) All right, hopefully hopefully the camera holds up, and hopefully um, we'll see with the next um, recorded music if if it plays all right. But anyway, we are in the midst of our Lenten teaching series. Uh, It's called Sacred Rhythms. And in this series, every week, we're looking at different spiritual disciplines and practices we find in Scripture, trying to understand uh, how to implement them into our lives in Lent and beyond. A couple weeks ago, we started this series off by talking about feasting and fasting. Uh, I know a number of folks in our congregation are uh, experimenting with uh, fasting for the first time, uh, many for the first time. Hopefully, you get to get a good feast in today. Um, Last week, Uh, Alicia did an excellent job covering the pulpit, exploring solitude and community. If you missed that sermon, I'd highly recommend to go online and check it out. Today we're going to talk about prayer 
and action. Our scripture reading for today is a pretty well-known one. I think a lot of us have heard this before. Uh, It's where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. This is also where we get the Lord's Prayer and this really weird story about bugging your neighbor in the middle of the night until they give you what you're asking for, which is an interesting way to think about prayer. But the basic idea here is Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. When I was a kid, it was my mom who taught me how to pray. Uh, We would pray together before school and before bed. Uh, Prayer was always very conversational. My mother would tell me to to talk to God just like I was talking to a friend. And if I was ever scared or if I had a problem, if there was something I was struggling with, my mom would always remind me and encourage me that I could take that to God in prayer. I think it's probably why, like, even today as an adult when I pray, I talk to God almost more like a therapist. I think that's where that comes from. But I'm 35 years old. I've been to seminary. I'm pastoring a church. I've taught theology. I've read books about prayer, written papers on prayer, taught classes on prayer. But I honestly think the way I talk to God today is shaped more by what my mom taught me about prayer as a kid than anything I've learned since then. I have this theory that that's kind of how prayer works. At an early age, or like soon after we come to faith, if we come to the church a little bit later in life, someone teaches us how to pray. Maybe it's a parent or a Sunday school teacher or a friend, but at some point we're taught how to talk to God. We're taught one form of prayer, and then for most of us, we never branch much beyond that. That's just what prayer is for us. Now, I was really lucky. My mom instilled me with a pretty healthy understanding of prayer. It has served me well in my relatively short life, but not everyone is that lucky. We're given one box for prayer, one type of prayer, and it works for a while until it doesn't. The way we're taught to pray as children works until life kicks the crap out of us or we have a crisis of faith, or we endure some sort of suffering or loss or trauma, and then all of a sudden we find that the way we were taught to pray doesn't seem to be working anymore. I've seen this happen to a lot of people. What often happens when that box labeled prayer that you were given fails is you can lose prayer altogether. It's like, well, that that doesn't work anymore. Now, in our scripture reading, Jesus teaches his disciples to be persistent in prayer. It's awful hard to do that, though, when the form of prayer you were given stops working. So what I want to do today is I want to talk through this, and I want to try to expand our boxes for prayer, if that makes sense. I want to talk about other ways to pray, different forms of prayer, alternative approaches some of which even connect prayer with action. And my hope is that when that box labeled prayer that you were given at some point stops working for you, you'll have a few other boxes to draw from. That's my hope with this teaching. To get into this though, um, I wanna start out by working through some common boxes for prayer that I think a lot of us are given. And I I wanna be careful with this because I really don't want to dump on any forms of prayer. One type of prayer that fails for one person might work amazingly for someone else, and that's amazing. If you're talking to God, that's a good thing. 
But I want to work through some common boxes for prayer that I have personally seen fail people over and over and over again. I want to explore some of why that is, and I want to talk about some alternative approaches to prayer. That's the roadmap for what we're doing. Let's get into it, and I want to start with this really strange story Jesus tells right in the middle of this passage, because I think it leads pretty well into the discuss. Uh, Luke 11, verse 5. Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, don't bother me, the door has already been locked, my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. Here's the connection to prayer, verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, nice, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, there is a lot there. We could do like a whole sermon series alone just on this passage. The core idea here, though, that I think Jesus is trying to drive home is that we need to be persistent in prayer. We should pray without ceasing. Ask, seek, knock. Don't stop talking to God, even when it feels like God's not listening. I think that's what Jesus is trying to say. But that's not how this passage is usually understood. The way we often think about this passage leads to our first box for prayer, and that's prayer as individual wish fulfillment. We could also call this box um, prayer as managing outcomes. That feels a little less judgy, but it's really the same thing. So either way, you want to go there. Individual wish fulfillment, managing outcomes. The point is, it's this understanding of prayer as a way to manage the outcomes in life that we otherwise can't control. Are you worried about something? Are you unsure of something? Is there something you want, something you need? Just pray about it. Tell God what you want and you'll get it. Name it and claim it. That's this form of prayer. If you're persistent enough, if you have enough faith, if you pester God enough, God will eventually give you what you're asking for. Isn't that what Jesus is saying in this, in this passage? Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. If you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will God give good gifts to you? Only that's not the actual line there at the end, is it? In verse 13, the actual line reads, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Jesus is talking about persistence in prayer and the Holy Spirit here, which again is a whole other sermon. 
But how many of us, this is the box for prayer you were given at some point. Prayer as a way to manage outcomes, to control outcomes, to get the outcomes you want. If you need something, ask God for it. If you pray hard enough, you might actually get it. It's one thing if we're praying for like an an iPad or a new car or even something bigger like a job or something like that. It is something else entirely when it's your kid who's sick and you pray for healing and you don't get it. I asked God for an egg and I got a scorpion. Or how many of us have heard this one before? This is a classic line. Uh, When people talk about prayer, they'll often say this. When you pray, there's three answers you can get. Yes, no, or wait. How many of us at home have heard this one at some point? Let's set aside the fact that these are the only three possible answers when you're asking for something, right? Yes, no, or wait. There's not really another option. Um, let's, Let's put that aside for a minute and acknowledge that this is a pretty narrow view of prayer. Like if the only response you can get in prayer is yes, no, and wait, that assumes a few things. It assumes that prayer is this sort of one-way dialogue where we ask God for things. It's sort of like the Oliver Twist, you know, please, sir, I'd like some more. And then God, if he feels like it, can answer us or not. Now again, I, I really want to be careful here. I don't want to dump on any forms of prayer. Maybe this approach has worked for you. Maybe you prayed for healing and you got healed, or there was a bill that you didn't know how you were going to pay, and you prayed over it and it got paid. If that's your experience, that is amazing, and I want to honor that. But if that's all we've got in our wheelhouse, if that's the only box we're using for prayer, that is going to let us down at some point. I've seen that form of prayer fail way too many people. Yes, we should share our needs with God. Yes, we should pray for healing when those we love are sick, but there needs to be more to prayer than just managing outcomes. That's box number one. A second form of prayer I think a lot of us have experienced, have encountered before, is prayer as a measure of spiritual ability. I struggled with how to word this one. Prayer as a way to display how holy you are. That's how we might, might think about this. Um, if you grew up in like a really formal, liturgical church setting, this might have been your introduction to prayer. We see this kind of thing at like a large public event when there's like a, a convocation or like a prayer offered. It's almost always given by a member of the clergy, right? Because it's like our job to pray or something. And the prayer is always filled with all of these rhetorical flourishes, formal language, biblical references, these and thous. It's the kind of prayer that you hear and it's just like, man, I wish I could pray like that. I wish I had that in me. Or maybe if you grew up in a church where there were a lot of prayer warriors, right? Where are my prayer warriors at? Almost like there's like this separate cast of people in the church, usually, usually like elderly women who like really know how to pray. And here's the thing. There are people who have a unique, special gift for prayer. And that's amazing. 
There are people who have such a, a deep knowledge of the Bible, such a good ability to speak publicly and to articulate what's on their heart that when they pray, it's on a whole nother level. I love hearing people like that pray. I wish I could pray like that at the drop of a hat. But if that's all you've seen of prayer, if that's your primary exposure, if you didn't grow up in a, in a home where prayer was a more normal, almost casual part of life, then it's really easy to fall into this place where prayer becomes inaccessible. Prayer is something that other people do, the spiritual giants do. I'm not really good at prayer. You need prayer, let's get the pastor. Or let's get my aunt, my aunt Laura. She's a prayer warrior. She'll know how to pray. If you've ever been afraid to pray, if you've ever been embarrassed, if you've ever said something like, I can't lead the prayer. I would just say something stupid. I've said that before, right? You've been exposed to this box of prayer. This idea of prayer as inaccessible for someone else. That's the second box. I want to touch on a third box for prayer briefly. There's always got to be three in a sermon, right? One more common approach to prayer that I've seen a lot of times, and that's prayer as a substitute for action. This one has become really popular lately. We might call this like the, the thoughts and prayers approach, prayer as a substitute for action. When there's a school shooting, we always see this, right? The, the politicians take to Twitter or they give, they give speeches offering thoughts and prayers, usually right before they vote on some piece of legislation, vote against a piece of legislation that might actually stop these sorts of things from happening. Thoughts and prayers. When we see suffering in the world, uh, villages blown up by drones, refugees being mistreated, children separated from their parents, and we feel awful about it, so we offer our thoughts and prayers. But we don't do much more than that. That's prayer without action. This has actually become a meme lately. If you spend much time on Facebook or social media platforms, people are now using the phrase thoughts and prayers as a punchline, calling out this form of prayer. Uh, And I think that's a real problem. Because for a large chunk of our society who have had zero experience in church, zero positive religious exposure, this is becoming the most common form of prayer, the most common use for prayer that they've seen. Thoughts and prayers. Oh yeah, prayer. That's what powerful people do when they don't want to actually act. That's a real problem. And here's the thing, there will be times in life when we are up against challenges that are so big that the only thing we can do is pray, and pray we should. But prayer can't be all we do. When we pray instead of acting, we need some other options. We need some other boxes for prayer. So let's talk about that. 
I want to invite everyone uh, watching at home at some point this week to go to the online worship page of our website, uh, brockportfirstbaptist.org slash online worship. You can download the order of worship there, and at the bottom of that, you're going to find a whole list of practices. We had to use a smaller font this week because we put so much on there. Uh, different ideas around prayer, new ways to pray. It's right there in the going deeper section of the order of worship. And what I want to recommend for this season of Lent is to just choose one or two. Don't get overwhelmed by all the stuff that's there. Pick one or two practices that speak to you and give them a try for the next month. Who knows, maybe they'll stick and actually become a regular part of your prayer life. We've covered these three common approaches, three common boxes for prayer, but with the time we have left today, I want to talk about three different forms of prayer, three additional boxes we can draw from when those other boxes fail us. And you're going to notice these are correlated a little bit to the ones we've discussed so far. We talked about prayer as managing outcomes, individual wish fulfillment. Let's complement that, though, with a different approach. Prayer as an ongoing communal dialogue. We talked about this individual wish fulfillment where prayer goes in one direction, us asking God for stuff. The Oliver Twist method basically looks something like this. Got God at the top, got us at the bottom, and a little arrow pointed up. But if we think about prayer as a dialogue, that starts to look more like this. Notice here that the arrows are going in both directions. There's the piece where we speak to God, but the dialogue implies that there will also be moments when God speaks to us. If you already have a prayer practice that you do regularly, if you um, routinely go to God with your needs when they arise, what would it look like to incorporate listening into your prayer time? To take just a few minutes when you pray to stop and listen. To quiet our hearts and receive whatever it is God has for us. In a few weeks, uh, we're gonna talk about contemplation, uh, Christian meditation, basically. That's one of the sacred rhythms we're going to explore. And I've heard a lot of Christians push back on the idea of meditation, contemplation, listening uh, to God for a whole host of reasons. But one of, the, one of the reasons I hear a lot is that when we meditate, we sometimes fall asleep. Have you ever heard that one or struggle with that? That's happened to me before, I know. I've fallen asleep during prayer. And I could be totally wrong about this, but I suspect God loves that. I have a hunch that God loves it when we fall asleep listening for God's voice. I could be wrong. But my daughter Miriam is five years old, um, and she's in this phase now where she is talking constantly. It is so awesome. <laughs> but she talks and talks and talks. And the other day, she was sitting on my lap during quiet time, and she fell asleep, like right there in my arms. She was out, and it was amazing. She was peaceful. She was resting. She was drooling all over me, but I didn't care at all, because here's my, my daughter, my child, just resting peacefully in my arms. 
We talked about how a lot of people will say when you, when you talk to God, God says either yes, no, or wait. But what if the answer God gives us when we pray is I love you. I love you. Thank you so much for taking this time to be with me. I love that you fell asleep in my arms. I mean, God is our father, right? We talk about God as our, our creator, our parent, our father, our mother. Isn't that what parents do? We talk about prayer as a dialogue. We have to carve out space to listen for God's voice, even if we end up falling asleep. Another component of this type of prayer, this prayer as dialogue, is community. Uh, that's when prayer starts like this, this next slide here, here we go, perfect. This multi-way conversation that involves God, ourselves, and others. The other day I called someone from church, and as I will often do, uh, I prayed for them before I called them. And they answered the phone, and they were like, Pastor Dan, I was just praying for you, and it was so cool, because I was like, oh, I was praying for you too. There is something powerful about a community that prays with us and for us. We have a prayer chain here at church. Uh, if you're not already on that and you're looking for new ways to pray, one super easy thing to do is email the church office and get on the prayer chain. Ask to be added to that. And then when you get those emails in the mail, when, or in the, in the email, when, when prayer requests go out, you can actually stop and pray for those needs. Another thing you can do to explain expand your sense of community in prayer is to try offering prayers written by other people. I know some of us have hesitations around written prayers. When you read a prayer written by someone else, it can feel like, like you're not praying right, like it's inauthentic or something. But using prayer books and offering prayers written by others is actually a biblical practice. We have the book of Psalms, a prayer book, right in the middle of our Bible. There are all sorts of excellent resources out there, prayer books, anthologies, collections of ancient prayers. There is an awesome prayer book listed in the Going Deeper section, again, in the Order of Worship, that was just published like in the last six months. Um, it is fantastic. It's a great option if you've never used a prayer book before, and I'm happy to recommend others if you need some help articulating your prayers. These are excellent ways to expand your prayer life from that unidirectional me and God, Oliver Twist, to a more communal, ongoing dialogue where we are listening for God's voice and we are praying with and for our community. That's one alternative box for prayer. Another is to pray honestly, and I want to contrast this with the, the fancy formal prayers many of us have encountered in like liturgical settings, those unattainable forms of prayer. Pray honestly. I think a lot of times we can be afraid to just speak honestly with God. It's like there's this wall between us and God that we have to mount in, able, uh, in order to pray. We've got to be able to use the right language, you know, uh, be proper and respectful, maybe even have the right kind of clothes on or something. As a result, I think it can feel like we're not able to be real and open and honest with God in prayer. 
A moment ago, I mentioned the book of Psalms, and that's actually a really good resource to help remedy this if you're looking to be more honest with God in prayer. Try praying the Psalms. Psalms is this collection of about 150 prayers from ancient Israel. It's right in the middle of our Bibles. Can't miss it. And the Psalms are absolutely beautiful. I mean, there's praise, talking about God's glory, God's majesty, but the bulk of the Psalms, the majority of these ancient prayers are laments, complaints, brutally honest prayers. God, where are you? Why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you answering my prayers? God, why have you forgotten me? God, I'm not even sure if you're there. We think about Jesus' analogy of pounding on your friend's door at night over and over again. That's the sort of persistent, brutal, honest, unnerving prayers that we find in the book of Psalms. And if the Bible's okay with that approach to prayer, maybe we should be too. So pray honestly. And one last box of prayer, one other option I want to share with you. This one parallels that box of praying without action, and that's using your body in prayer. Prayer as something we do with our bodies. I think often when we think about prayer, or when I think about prayer, um, it's something that happens up here, um, or maybe here in the heart, or it could be something that we speak verbally. Prayer is internal. It's verbal, it's mental, and it's really easy for prayer to be totally disconnected from our embodied existence in the world. But that changes when we pray with our bodies. One way you can do this is to go on a prayer walk. The, the weather is slowly starting to get nicer. Uh, more and more people are out going for walks, and prayer walking is a fantastic practice for this sort of thing. The idea with a prayer walk is you go for a walk, usually someplace you know so that you don't have to focus too closely on where you're going, like your, your community, your neighborhood, your, your employment, and as you walk, you pray. And you can actually allow your walk to prompt you in prayer. When you see people out and about on the street, you pray for them, just quietly to yourself as you walk by. You go by a business, you pray for that business, the people inside, the customers, the employees. You go by a house, a police station, a school, you pray for the people inside. It doesn't have to be verbal. It doesn't even have to be like a continuous monologue in your head. Just walk and pray. That's prayer walking. Another way to get your body involved in prayer is by doing a prayer labyrinth. This is a picture of our labyrinth. We'll put it up on the screen here. Uh, we have this here at church. Uh, we, in non-COVID times, we offer the labyrinth once a month. It's absolutely huge. It takes up the, the whole fellowship hall. I suspect the labyrinth will be returning sooner rather than later, fingers crossed. Um, here's another picture to get more the sense of the shape of our labyrinth, kind of how it's laid out. Um, and the way this works, the, the symbolism here, it's not a maze. You can't get lost in a labyrinth. There's only one path to follow. But the labyrinth is basically a symbol of the spiritual journey. It parallels our journey with God through life. And you're supposed to imagine God at the center of the labyrinth, 
And the path is like the path we follow in life. It zigs, it zags, it twists and turns, it moves in and out. There are moments when you are close to God's presence and there are other moments that you are moving away. But you keep walking that path, you keep following that journey until finally you arrive at the center. And you pause for a moment, maybe offer a prayer or meditation, and then you follow the path back, back out of the labyrinth. That's it. That's how a labyrinth works. I've walked the labyrinth here at church many times. I've walked a number of other labyrinths, and I've got to tell you, stuff happens when people walk the labyrinth. It's legit. Like, I've seen people on labyrinths with tears in their eyes. I've prayed for folks after walking the labyrinth. The Spirit of God can work in powerful ways when we pray with our bodies. And it just might help us connect prayer with action. Those are some alternative boxes for prayer. Again, I want to invite everyone to go to our website, uh, brockportfirstbaptist.org slash Download the order of worship. Take a look at that going deeper section. See if any of those practices catch your eye and maybe give them a try. It's my hope that one of these practices might empower you to encounter God in a new way and maybe give you some options for those times in life when the way we were taught to pray doesn't work quite as well anymore. On that note, let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for listening to us, speaking to us, inviting us to speak to you. God, I ask that you'd make your presence felt to us um, in those tough times when prayer gets difficult. And Lord, empower us to encounter you in new ways. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.